So there's going to be a little bit of thinking tonight. I hope that's okay. Y'all ready to learn? Okay, so we're in Revelation chapter 12. And as we begin part two of Revelation chapter 12, we've already looked at the first five verses last time. Um, we find ourselves in the middle of the tribulation period. And as we did last time, we're going to do the same thing this time to help us get the right time frame of the events of Revelation chapter 12, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, and then we're going to come back to Revelation chapter 12, so don't lose your place. So in Matthew chapter 24, uh, Jesus is giving the Olivet Discourse, and that's the place where the disciples ask Jesus, uh, what's the sign of, uh, when will all these things be, and the sign of your coming mean the the sign of your second coming, because Jesus is there with them the first time, so they're wanting to know, when are you coming back? He gave them all kinds of signs. <clears throat> then you get to chapter 24, beginning in verse 15, and this is the midpoint of the tribulation period, and Jesus says this, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Verse 16, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Verse 16 is a key to understand Revelation chapter 12. But Jesus is talking about the abomination of desolation. That is when the Antichrist invades the temple, and as 2 Thessalonians teaches us, he demands to be worshipped as God. The abomination of desolation, when you see that take place, the Antichrist in the temple, you better flee Judea, and head to the mountains. What mountains? We'll see that in a few minutes. Verse 17, let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Woe to those who are uh, pregnant and those nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Let me stop here. Judea, where Jerusalem is, is speaking to the Jews living in the land of Jerusalem or in the land of Judea. Uh, Judea would be the greater area. Jerusalem is a city within Judea. Uh, the fact that this is talking about the Sabbath, this is to the Jewish people during the tribulation when the Antichrist sits in the temple. Verse 21, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. It will be worse than anything that's ever hit the planet before. Ever. And there's been some bad stuff that has hit this planet. And unless, verse 22, those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Wow. So Jesus warns during this time that the Jews are to flee Judea, they are head, to head to the mountains, and the reason why it's because the Antichrist, Satan actually, working through the Antichrist, is going to start bringing on the Jews their last holocaust. And it will be a great holocaust. We do not know exactly how many Jews are going to be killed in number. But we do know this from Zechariah chapter 13, that two-thirds of the Jews at this time are going to be killed. One-third of the Jews are going to be Saved. We're going to see that one-third of the Jews in just a minute. But then it's so bad that Jesus says, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Jesus will cut it 
short. So let's begin. With that in mind, this passage of the Olivet Discourse that we just read fits right into Revelation chapter 12. And now we're going to see from Revelation chapter 12 exactly what Jesus was talking about where we just read. So you ready? <coughs> Back to Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 6. We did the first five verses last time. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Let me stop here. If you don't know what the first five verses are about, you come to verse 6, you might be thinking, what is this? This makes no sense. It will make sense even if you missed last time. I'll make it real simple. The woman is the nation of Israel. And as far as the days go, we'll see what the 1,260 days are in just a minute. But I'll give you a hint. It's a period of three and a half years or 42 months, a.k.a. it's the second half of the tribulation period. All right? It's going to make a lot more sense in just a few more minutes. Verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. So there's a war going on on earth where during the tribulation period, and the great holocaust against the Jews is about ready to take place. While that's going on here, Satan is in heaven. God has a war with Michael the archangel. Satan is going to get kicked out of heaven. It's his final kicking out. But they did not prevail, verse 8, nor was a place found for them. That would be Satan, the dragon, and his angels. There's a place found for them no longer in heaven. Verse 9, so the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So you guys got that so far? Okay. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and, and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. So let me put this into a nutshell for you. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Satan is able to accuse you before God, day and night, right now. So this is how it's worked out. If you go all the way back into the Old Testament to the time of the book of Job, remember what happened with Job? Satan goes before God, and Satan is accusing Job of loving God only because God is nice to Job. Remember that? And so Satan says, oh, take your protection away from Job, and then Job will curse you to your face. But Job never cursed God. But Satan was in heaven accusing Job before God. And apparently Satan is able to do that right now. Go back and forth between heaven and earth. Because Satan, in the book of Job, we are told he was walking to and fro on the earth and that's when and God says, did you notice Job when you were down there? So you don't always want God to point you out to Satan because it could cause you a few problems. Nevertheless, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. But at this point of the tribulation, Matthew chapter 24, the exact place we were just reading, reading Satan is cast out of heaven. He is no longer welcome there. At that point, he's no longer able to come to the throne of God and accuse anybody any longer. Verse 11, and they overcame Satan, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. Who's that speaking of? 
Those who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ during the tribulation, they're willing to die for the Lord. They're able to overcome the accusations of the devil. They're willing to be martyred for their faith in the Lord. They overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb and their testimony. They did not love their lives to death. They were, okay, kill me, I'm going to heaven, but I'm not submitting to Satan. Verse 12, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, in heavens, in the heavens. A woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Verse 12, you know where that fits in Matthew chapter 24? Remember when we are reading, when you see the abomination of desolation, flee. If you are in Judea, get out of here. Because what's going to happen? Satan at that same time is kicked out of heaven. According to verse 12 right here, that is when he looks at the earth, he says, I have got a short time and I am going to get rid of, he's got a target. You know who it is? The Jews. He's going after them. Remember Jesus said, flee Judea. Be concerned that your flight not be on the Sabbath, but get out of there now. That is when verse 12 takes place. At the time of the abomination of desolation, when Satan, in, uh, when the Antichrist enters the, 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 um, into the temple. So, just for the record, Satan is a spiritual being. The Antichrist is a physical being, a person. Make sense? So the Antichrist is in the temple, Satan is in heaven, and he gets kicked out. And now he's going after the Jews. Verse 13. Now when the dragon, that's Satan, saw that he had been cast to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. The woman is Israel, the male child is Jesus, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water. Again, this is, this is the dragon, this is Satan. The serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Wow! What is going on here? I'm glad you asked. So we're going to find out. You ready? And I'm going to do my best to help it make sense to everybody that's in here and everybody that watches online. So what we know, number one, Israel is persecuted by Satan. So what we've been able to determine to this point, if you were with us last time, part one of chapter 12, you saw it. But if not, that's okay. What we've been able to determine so far, as Israel is persecuted by Satan, is the woman in Revelation 12 is Israel, the child is the Messiah or Jesus, and the dragon is Satan. And here in verse 13, we find that Satan is going to persecute Israel, specifically the Jews. This is Satan's final attack of anti-Semitism against the Jewish people. It is known as a few different things in the Bible. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, it's known as the time of Jacob's trouble. In Matthew chapter 24, we just read this. It's known as, Jesus calls it, the time of great tribulation. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, calls it the time of trouble. A trouble, Daniel chapter 12, like Jesus said, that's never been here on the earth before. Anti-Semitism has always been 
a product of this world. God made a covenant with Abraham. And ever since God made the covenant with Abraham, in fact, you can even trace it back earlier than that. But ever since then, you can specifically say that Satan has been out to kill the Jews. You can see it time and time again. You can see it, uh, if you look at the book of Esther, that was an attempt by Haman to get rid of all the Jewish people on the planet. If Haman was successful in the book of Esther, there'd be no Jews alive today. But Haman was not successful. God always trumps the devil. God's always going to win. Satan sought to destroy the Jews before Christ was born. Satan sought to destroy Christ when he was born. Satan thought he destroyed Christ on the cross, but he was wrong. And now Satan seeks to destroy the Jews because if he thinks, he thinks, if he destroys the Jews and he conquers Jerusalem and he has his man, the Antichrist, sitting in the temple demanding to be worshipped as God and he, again, kills all the Jews, then guess what? God is a liar God has not protected his people, the Jews, and God does not have the Jewish people to return to, and Satan has conquered the temple, Satan wins. But you want to know something? God wins. Satan's going to lose the final battle, this final battle Satan's going to lose. Jeremiah says this, Jeremiah chapter 33, actually God says, have you noticed what people are saying? The Lord chose Judah and Israel and then abandoned them. In other words, the, the, the Jews were God's chosen people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the lineage through David that the Messiah would be born. He chose them, but they blew it, so God abandoned them. So that's what the people are saying. That's what they've been saying for thousands of years, and that's what people say today. You hear race replacement theology? That is the doctrine that has invaded the church in America. Uh, the, it's Catholic doctrine, but uh, the, the majority of Protestant churches teach it also in America and over in Europe that the church has replaced Israel. God has abandoned Israel. God is done with Israel. Have you not known the Lord, what they are saying? The Lord chose Judah and Israel and then abandoned them. They are sneering and saying that Israel is not worthy to be counted as a nation. But in, in Romans chapter 11, what does the apostle Paul do? He addresses this. This is from the Old Testament. From the New Testament, the Apostle Paul addresses this. He asks the question, is God done with Israel? And then he answers it. You know what he says? Certainly not, with an exclamation mark. And then he goes on, in fact, I'll read this to you. Uh, Hebrews, excuse, what did I say? Romans, Romans, I get the wrong book. Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 11. Is God done with Israel? Certainly not. And then in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, the Apostle Paul says this, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. In other words, don't be ignorant of it. And it is a mystery. The whole thing is a mystery. But don't be ignorant, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. In other words, you think that's true. God's abandoned Israel. You're wise in your own opinion. That's exactly what Romans chapter 11 is saying. Don't be ignorant. Don't be thinking you're smarter than God. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion. But understand this, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Blindness in part has happened to the Jewish people. There's a very small uh, percentage of Jewish people that understand who Yeshua is. They come to faith in, in, the, in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're called Messianic Jews. I know a lot of them. In fact, I was talking with a few here this morning. Messianic Jews, Jews who have come to faith in, 
in Jesus. So that's why Paul says blindness in part has happened to Israel. But so many Jews, they look, we got the same Old Testament, but they have a hard time. Blindness in part, like the Apostle Paul, when he was blinded until God removed the scales. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of, gen of the Gentiles has come. There's coming a time when God says, okay, I'm done with working with the Gentile world like this, and now my attention is turning to the Jews. This is exactly what is going on in Revelation chapter 12. And when God turns his full attention to the Jews, it's not going to be pleasant because Satan is also turning his full attention to them too. But is God done with Israel? Is he done with the Jews? He is not. Jeremiah goes on and says in verse 25 of chapter 33, but this is what the Lord says. I would no more reject my people than I would change my laws that govern night and day, earth and sky. I will never abandon the descendants of Jacob or David, my servant. I will never, I will never abandon. Yet people say God is done with Israel. Replacement theology. I will never abandon them. In fact, Romans chapter 11, verse 26 goes on and says that all Israel will be saved. We'll see what that means in just a minute too. This passage in Jeremiah then goes on and says, God says, or will I change the plan that David's descendants will rule the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Instead, what does God say I will do? I will restore them to their land and I will have mercy on them. This is what we are watching taking place. The whole Zionist movement. Um, listen, God is the original Zionist. God says, Zion is mine. And God says, I will bring the Jews back into the land in that last days, and I will have mercy on them. A physical restoration before the spiritual awakening will take place. The spiritual awakening will take place uh, before we're done tonight. But of Zion, it's God's. What does the Bible say? Here's just a few things. In Psalm 2, verse 6, God says, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Psalm 9, verse 11, Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Psalm 14, Oh, that the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Psalm 65, praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion, and to you the vow shall be performed. Psalm 147, praise the Lord, O Jerusalem, praise your God, O Zion. Psalm 149, let Israel rejoice in their maker, let, whoops, my microphone, sorry, it's okay? Okay, good. <laughs> let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. For thus says the, the Lord has spoken. The Lord of hosts will come down to fight for Mount Zion and for its hill. I look at that and I think all the fighting that's going on over Israel right now. All over the mountain called Zion, Jerusalem. All of the fighting. God says, I will come down there. I will fight those who fight against my land. That's my, that's my place. I've got the claim to it. Satan wants it. I've got the claim to it. Psalm 129, verse 5. Let all those who hate Zion be put to shame and turned back. Psalm 132, verse 13. This is the last one. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. 
Satan may want to get rid of the Jews in an attempt to thwart the plan of God, but it ain't going to work. In Revelation chapter 12, it's his final attempt to eliminate the Jewish people. Because he knows, as we already read, chapter 12, verse 12, he knows he has a little bit of time. Number two, Israel is protected by God. In verse 6, we read it, of Revelation chapter 12, that God has prepared, a place prepared for her. A place prepared. Where is it? Look at this, verse 6. The woman fled into the wilderness. Remember what Matthew chapter 24 said, where Jesus said, flee Judea to the mountains. Verse 6 here, the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. That term prepared comes from a Greek word which means to make ready or provide. It implies that it's a place that already exists, but God is going to make it ready specifically for this time for the Jewish people that they would be protected during this time of great rage of Satan working through the Antichrist. Um, where is this place? I've studied the book of Revelation and this actual um, passage a lot over the years. And I am convinced, and I know I may be wrong. That's very hard for me to ever admit I'm wrong. It is possible, but I'm convinced that the place that's already been prepared and God will make ready just for the Jews in that day is a place that you've heard of it's called Petra. Uh, Petra is in Jordan. If you've seen, that's a hard to see up there. But uh, that's, boy, that's really hard to see. Um, Harrison Ford is, is, is the guy you can't see. And uh, this is from um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Here's another picture. And uh, this is the part where the, uh, the um, or one of the, one of the Raiders movies that Harrison Ford was in. And the place that you see in the background, that is the place known as Petra. There's another picture of Petra, and here's a, another one. It looks, it is exactly how it looks uh, today. So some of the reasons why I believe that Petra, and it's much larger than just this one spot right here, much larger. Uh, it's not like all the Jews are going to be able to fit into that building right there. It's much larger than that. But I'll give you some of the reasons why I believe that the place, it already exists. According to God has a place prepared for them, it already exists, a place today in the wilderness when the Jews flew, uh, flew, when they flee Judea and they go to the mountains. So reasons why I think it is Petra. <clears throat> Petra is in the wilderness, mountainous area of Jordan. Um, it's in the area of the ancient Edomites and the Moabites, Edom and Moab, which is in Jordan. Uh, Petra is accessible by Israeli Jews. It's only about 20 miles south of the Dead Sea, close enough for Jews to flee to when they flee Judea and they've got to get away from the presence of the Antichrist. Petra is a place already prepared for habitation. Although it's ancient, uh, it still has it had temples that were there. It was set up for people be, to be able to live there. How many of you have been to Petra before? A few of you have. You can, you can live there. Um, there's, it's set up to do commerce there. It was, it was built in 500 B.C. Um, by the Edomites. And they built their businesses and carved houses and the temples and the various things out of the rock faces and the cliffs. Uh, Petra is also very easy to defend. 
It has very narrow entrances, which allows a small force of men to defend against a large army. Also, its name means the rock. And even with modern technology and modern military, it still can be quite difficult to be able to at us to be able to go after somebody. If, if the Antichrist wants to go into the place of Petra to get the Jews, it's going to be very difficult, even with modern technology today. And I'm going to show you why it's going to be extremely difficult in just a minute. So we'll get there. Petra also may be described in the Bible as the place of safety. Uh, here's a couple of verses to think of. So uh, again, it's in the area of Moab, Edom and Moab, of the ancient Edomites and Moabites, which is in modern-day Jordan. It's on the other side of the, uh, the Jordan River. It's not too far from the Dead Sea, which isn't too far from Jerusalem. So it fits everything. Jesus said, flee into the mountains. They've got to go into the wilderness. All of the descriptions fit Petra, and it has to be a place that is already there, already built. I think this is marvelous. God had the Edomites and the Moabites build this 500 years before Christ was born to protect his people in the future. Um, but think of this. Again, it may be described in the Bible as the place of safety. I want you to think of this. In Isaiah chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, this is what the Bible says. This is the Lord speaking. Hide the outcast. Do not betray him who escapes. Ah, let my outcasts, this Israel, dwell with you. What's going on there? Him who escapes, Jesus said, flee Judea. Go into the mountains, right? Um, Let my outcasts dwell with you, O Moab. Petra is an area of the Edomites and the Moabites, Edom and Moab. Wow. Be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler. That's the devil working through the Antichrist. That's just the coolest verse. And then there's this from Daniel. And Daniel chapter 11, uh, and this is when, uh, during the tribulation period, when the Antichrist, he's going through the world, uh, mainly speaking of Africa and the Mideast, and he's wreaking havoc everywhere he's going. Satan knows he has a short time, he's working through the Antichrist, and he's just bringing destruction. In fact, the book of Revelation also says, who can make war with him? Revelation chapter 13, who's able to stop the Antichrist? So the Antichrist is on this march. However, in his march, God tells us in Daniel 11, these shall escape from his hand. Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. Interesting. Those areas, during the second half of the tribulation, the Antichrist will not be able to get to. I find that fascinating. I also find this interesting, too. People tell me, well, everybody in the world is going to love the Antichrist. No. Even during the tribulation, after the rapture, everybody in the world is not going to love the Antichrist. In fact, you find out, that the, the, mainly the Mideastern areas and parts of Africa, um, Egypt is not going to submit to the Antichrist, uh, willingly, I should say. Um, and then these areas of Jordan are not going to. And the greater area of of what was formerly known in the past as Assyria. They are not going to. I find it fascinating. All these Muslim areas are not going to be submitting to the Antichrist. Egypt even talks about, uh, God talks about Egypt turning to the Lord Yeshua during the tribulation period because of the oppressors that are wreaking havoc with them. So I find it fascinating. And right now, more people are coming to Christ in in Iran than any other place in in the world. So let's move on, because i got to get you out of here on time, right? 
No? Okay, good, because I am not going to. I can already tell, but I'll try. I'll try. We're going to keep moving. We don't have a lot left. Uh, so A, she has a place prepared for her. B, Israel is given wings like an eagle for a time. What is this all about? God is going to give Israel wings. Does that mean all of the Israelis suddenly develop wings they are flying away? It does not. So I'm going to show you what it means. But let's get through a couple of things first, and we will see it. So notice this. Uh, she's given wings like an eagle for, for a time. Uh, one, we notice the duration of the persecution. What is the duration of the persecution? Yeah, well, you guys already know. You cheated, and you looked ahead. It's three and a half years, right? Verse 6 says that she flees to the wilderness, given this place that God has prepared for protection for 1,260 days. How long is that? already did the math for you all, right? You guys already figured 42 months or three and a half years. Verse 14 says given wings for protection for time, times, and half a time. That is 42 months, a.k.a. three and a half years. How do I know it's 42 months or three and a half years? Because when you see this phrase, time, times, and half a time, in the book of Daniel, it matches the periods in the book of Revelation and elsewhere of 42 months and three and a half years. So we know it's 1,260 days or 42 months or three and a half years. And it coincides with when the abomination of desolation takes place, Satan is cast out of heaven, the Antichrist turns to wreak havoc on the Jews, for 42 months, three and a half years, the second half of the seven-year tribulation period. Easy enough? Okay, do I have too much information for y'all? Really? Okay, well, let's go with more then. So we have the duration of the persecution. Number two is the deliverance from the persecution. Since this deliverance is like eagle wings, some believe that this is describing the United States of America. Um, Americans always want to be the heroes of every story. It's just the way we are. But we have the eagle as our symbol, right? So I, I remember reading this passage probably 35 years ago. Or reading, I should say, I, I saw Hal Lindsey's Late Great Planet Earth about 40 years ago. Then I came across this, the whole eagle thing, and I got out a, a um, uh, Funkin' Wagnall's uh, encyclopedia. Remember those things? And I was reading it and trying to match... Uh, nation symbols with nations and things like that. And anyways, I was all messed up. But that's how I did my Bible studies 35 years ago. Um, praise God for his salvation and fixing our heads. So, but it says eagles' wings. So therefore, people have said, well, America's going to come to the rescue of Israel. People right now are saying this is happening. They're saying right now that America is protecting Israel and coming to the rescue of Israel and all this sort of thing. I say, no. That's not what's happening. This is not about America. I know it's a shock. This is not about America here in Revelation chapter 12. Hamas, the terror organization, you know what they have for a symbol? Eagle. Because they have the symbol eagle, do you think Hamas is coming to the rescue of Israel? Uh, not so fast, right? This lets us know that it's God, and God only, who's rescuing Israel. How do we know? We go back to the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. This is God. Remember the Egypt, or the Israelites are in bondage in Egypt, and he takes them across the Red Sea into the wilderness. Remember that? 
You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So Jews are able to rightly interpret this and understand what this says. A Messianic Jew, if you show them this passage, what is it? And they will say, we know what that is. That means God rescues us in the future just as he rescued us in the past. When the Pharaoh was coming after us, God rescued us. When the Antichrist is coming after us, God will rescue us. And then some people say, so they're going to live in the wilderness. They're going to live in Petra for three and a half years without any food. How is that going to work out? Well, pretty easy. God took care of the Jews for 40 years in the wilderness. I don't think three and a half years in Petra is really going to be a problem. I, uh, do you? No, I mean, it should be pretty simple. Um, so she has a place prepared for her. She is given a wings like an eagle. Ah, Israel, verses 15 and 16, is threatened with a flood. What is going on here? Verse 15, so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. So the devil has water coming out of his mouth? It appears that way, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I mean, that's what I used to think. He's got water, and it comes out. Um, but, verse 16, what happens? The earth opens up and swallows the flood and helped or saved the woman. So the flood comes and the flood is gone. So what is the flood? My opinion, it really only comes to two possibilities. I realize there may be a third one I haven't thought of, but the two possibilities are one. Uh, the flood is a flood of water. It's quite possible. Uh, there are those who speculate that when the Jews go to cross the Jordan, that uh, there's, there's companies or, or uh, people right now that are attempting to get the Jordan River opened up and to be able to reflow again or flow in places it's never flown before. And could that happen right at the time when the Jews are getting ready to cross into the area of Petra? Possible. I don't think that's what it is. I think this is what this is. I think the flood is symbolic of an army. Although it might be a literal flood of water, take note that in the Old Testament, God used floodwaters to describe military pursuits. In fact, right here, check it out, Jeremiah 46. God says, who is this coming up like a flood? What happens here in verse uh, 15, the, spew, the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood, right? Okay, who is this coming up like a flood whose waters move like the rivers? Egypt rises up like a flood and its waters move like the rivers. And he says, I will go up and cover the earth. I will destroy the city and its inhabitants. That's talking about getting rid of all the Jews. That is a military pursuit. That's not talking about water. This is a military pursuit. Jeremiah goes on and, and writes this coming from the Lord. Come up, O horses, and rage. O chariots. This is a military pursuit against the Jews. And let the mighty men come forth. For this is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge himself on his adversaries. I look at that and I go, that's what God is going to do. God is going to, um, he's going to destroy the armies. So, but this flood spews forth from the serpent, the dragon, or Satan. It's likely, this is again me thinking, this is how this works out. It is Satan. 
his mouth working through the mouths of the, the Antichrist and the false prophet, calling this military pursuit against those Jews who went to Petra, go and take them out. So although there may be modern military operations that could try to find a way to get into Petra, God says the earth is going to open up and swallow up this flood. Think of the, the um, uh, Korah's rebellion in the time of Moses. Remember Korah's rebellion? They're complaining against Moses. What happens? God says, I don't like complaining. He opens up the earth, and they all fall in, and then he closes the earth. That's just a reminder. Don't be a complainer. It could be a problem. God's going to, ultimately, God is the one who's going to destroy this army, this pursuit that is coming against Israel. Also keep this in mind. We go through this life, and the floodwaters are coming against us. And life starts to wear on us, and things start to get difficult, and the pain is there. And we have this trial from over here and this trial from over there. We know this much, that God is our protector. The devil is the accuser of the brethren, but the Lord is our rock, and we shall not be moved. He saves us from all of our fears, and he saves us, and he keeps us from destruction. Amen? Amen. Last thing, number three, Israel's offspring are persecuted by Satan. Last verse again, and the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. This phrase, to make war against the rest of her offspring, appears to be Jews who do not live in Jerusalem. They don't live in Judea. They live in various places of the world. They have not made the Aliyah. They have not uh, gone back to Israel yet and, and uh, gotten their citizenship back in Israel. They might live here in the United States. They might live over in Europe. They might live in Russia. They might live in Africa. They might live in China. But they have not made the Aliyah. They haven't gone back to Israel yet. And they are Jews who have not received Christ yet. These are Jews who do not receive Christ until after the rapture takes place. Remember, we've already seen this, Revelation chapter 7, the 144,000 Jews, 12,000 Jews from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember that? They're all going out preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are people that come to faith in Christ and these offspring of the Jews who escape into Petra, who do not live in Jerusalem, those are the ones, verse 17, that Antichrist has decided, the flood has swallowed up my military pursuits against those Jews in Petra. Guess where I'm going? I'm turning my vengeance against all the rest of the world. In the book of Revelation, you read about it, the second three and a half years of the tribulation, what happens to all those who do not receive the mark of the beast? or the number of his name, what happens to them? Off with their heads. This is the point when the Antichrist turns his vengeance against all the rest of the people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ throughout the world, and he is especially out to get rid of all the Jews. So as we wrap this up, you ready? Three promises to Israel. Number one, God will not forget Israel. Isaiah chapter 49 says in part, verses 14 through 16, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I love this, see, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. 
Jesus died, and you look at what was inscribed on the palms of his hands. I love that passage. And God says, I'm not going to forget you, Israel. And neither, as God had a covenant with the people, the Jewish people. It's an unconditional covenant for the land and who they are, right? They still have to come to faith in Yeshua. They still have to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But God has an unconditional covenant with us through his son. That whosoever believes in him won't, pa- won't perish but have everlasting life. And that covenant, folks, is inscribed on his hands, on the palms of his hands. And he is saying this to the Jewish people at the end of the time. And we also know from Revelation, or excuse me, from Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, that at that time the Jews will finally look up and they will mourn as one mourns for their firstborn son. They will recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, their eyes are going to be opened up. Number two, God will keep Israel. We saw this earlier, show it to you one more time. Um, but this is what the Lord says I would no more reject my people than I would change my laws that govern night and day, earth and sky. I will never abandon the descendants of Jacob or David, my servant or change the plan that David's descendants will rule the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Instead, I will restore them to their land, and I will have mercy on them. This is God's promise. And with all of that talk, (coughs) excuse me, I read it every single day. Every single day. I read it this afternoon, just a little bit before we started the service tonight. So much anti-Semitism And so many within the churches are believing these lies and promoting these lies that God is done with Israel and God's done with the Jews. He is not. In Revelation chapter 12, he protects them and he saves them and he keeps them. And Yeshua is returning to them. No matter what the devil wants to do, he will not be able to get rid of the Jews. He will not be able to get rid of Israel. He's tried for thousands of years and it hasn't worked. And it ain't going to work. Last promise, God will save Israel. We've already seen this, Romans chapter 11. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then it goes on and says, and so all Israel will be saved as it is written, The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Amen? Amen. Amen.